chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 in the Passion Translation, and I believe it'll be behind me. Yes, praise God. Thank you so much. Just then, a religious scholar, say religious scholar. Sometimes we act like that, don't we? Stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. He posed the question, teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? That's a great question. What's the answer, Jesus? Well, he gives us another question. How many ever feel like God answers your questions with more questions? Like, thanks, Lord. That doesn't help. So here's what, uh, what Jesus says. What does Moses teach us? What do you read in the law? And the religious scholar replied, he answers, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as well as you loved yourself. Jesus says, that is correct. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. Would you say that with me? Say exactly that. If I could paraphrase and add a first century hashtag, it would be like, good luck with that one, buddy. Verse 29, wanting to justify himself, he questioned Jesus further saying, what do you mean by my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? How many saw that movie with Mr. Rogers? Hold on, I know I'm rabbit trailing. It was amazing. I was literally crying in the theater. So powerful. Mr. Rogers is legit. Love that dude. Can't wait to give him a hug in heaven. Come on, somebody. So the religious scholar says, what do you mean by my neighbor? Verse 30, Jesus says, listen, and I'll tell you. Now, here's the story. Are you all ready? I want you to open your heart as we study this um, because you're going to get some heavy revy. Can you just thank God for the spirit of heavy revy? Heavy revelation. Here we go. Jesus says, there once was a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. Soon, a Jewish priest was walking down the same road. He came upon the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. Verse 32, later, a religious man, a Levite, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side, passed by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, say finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. Then he took him from his donkey and carried him to a room for the night. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay when I return. So now tell me, Jesus says, which one of the three men saw the wounded man prove to be the true neighbor? The religious scholar said, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Jesus said, you must go and do the same as he. Amen. Pray with me real quick. Father, thank you for this wonderful time together. Thank you for this time of worship. We come to your word and we come to this moment to hear 
and have hearing ears what you're saying to us individually and as a church into the body of Christ. We open our hearts. Would you just say, I open my heart to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, can we just give God one more clap? Come on. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. So my daughter and I just got back from London. If you didn't know that, we were uh, gone last Sunday, but we were gone for about nine days. We had an awesome time. Wasn't it a blast, honey? And I got to spend some good quality time with my daughter, but we were also there doing some ministry stuff. And so we got to minister at a, a conference, did worship, and I preached a session. And I'm telling you, we got to release the spirit of revival on these people. It was incredible. Uh, man, you know, we talked about the Philippine trip. And if you haven't seen the mission trip we did in June, if you haven't seen the recap part one of the, that mission trip, it's phenomenal. It will bless you. Um, you have to check that out. You can see it on Facebook and other places. But I want to uh, tell you some stories about our trip because it was encouraging. Um, and it was a fun time. So we, we got to minister. And then we went down to London. We stayed in the heart of the city. Who loves like the inner city, like the heart of the city? I love, I'm a city person. Come on. I'm a city boy. Come on, somebody. And I love being around where there's everything, you know, like you have, you have everything you want all around you. And so we stayed in the heart of London. So we're walking around, checking out the neighborhood. And we went to this place called Leicester Square. And there was this tent. And it said, ask us about Islam. And so I'm like, I'm a pastor from America. I got to go talk to these guys and ask them about Islam, right? So Sarah and I go up there thinking we're just going to have a brief conversation. And uh, they start asking me questions. One thing leads to another. They threw the big dog up to talk to me. And four hours later, <laughs> we talked about the Trinity. Most of the time we talked about uh, the deity of Christ, that Jesus actually is divine um, and, and eternal, the eternal word. And so, man, it was just crazy. I got to tell you this one moment, though. It, actually, it felt like, like just a kind of a, a rough moment for a little bit because it's just me and Sarah, and it's like all these Muslim dudes, and they know their Bibles, and they know their Qurans, and thank God I have a little bit of learnedness. Come on, somebody armchair theologian, something like that, lawn chair theologian. Let me reframe that, rephrase that. And so we're talking. And then all of a sudden, after four hours, literally, not exaggerating, talking about the Trinity, mostly, this guy comes up with broken English accent, speaking a little bit of French and English. And he, he starts talking uh, to the Muslim guy that I was talking to, and he asks him for money. And he seemed to present himself as a Muslim brother. So he says, brother, do you have money? And, and uh, he says, and, and the Muslim guy I was talking to was kind of, you know, standoff. It's like, no, man, I don't have money. You have to talk to one of the other brothers. And, uh, and so the Holy Spirit in that moment says, give him money. And so I'm like, okay. So I gave him 20 pounds. That's why I look so thin. What? Come on, somebody. Sorry. I'm surprised you laughed like the first service laughed too. It's dumb, corny. That's kind of a dad joke, right? Still good. Everyone laughs, Sarah. What do you think now? Dad joke. I got your dad joke right here. So, <laughs> um, so I gave him 20 pounds, which is like 24 bucks and uh, something like that. And he looks and I told him, I said, listen, I'm not a Muslim. 
Because I'm sitting here with all these Muslim dudes, right? I got the beard I'm representing, right? I trimmed the top a little, so I look like one of the, no. But uh, he, uh, he looks at me, and I, I say, hey, I'm not, I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Christian, but I want to bless you. And I gave him the money, and he grabs me and embraces me. And then, he, and then he moves away, and he looks at me. After this entire conversation, he looks at me, and here's what he does. This is crazy. He goes, I saw Christ. And then he starts telling the story about a vision he had of Jesus. And this Muslim guy is looking at me like, and he's thinking like, would you just, he's probably thinking, would you stop right now? <laughs> I'm trying to convert this guy to Islam. And this guy, here's what he says. Then he goes on and he's like three in one, three in one. He kept saying three in one. Literally our entire conversation for four hours was about the Trinity. And I look at the Muslim guy and I'm like, is this guy an angel? Because it sounds like he's trying to tell us about the Trinity. And I had not seen an expression on this dude's face the entire four hours like I saw in this moment. He was just like, <laughs> his world was rocked. It was amazing. Another time, come on somebody, it was amazing. It was trippy. I think he could have been an angel. I gave 20 pounds to an angel. What? Come on somebody. <laughs> and so uh, another time, Sarah and I, uh, we like, we're foodies, right? Obviously, when I turn this way, you can tell or the, the gut. And so we're trying food and it, all the pubs have amazing food. And so, and we're like, you know, foodies. So we got to look at the Google review. So we go to different ones and we're at this one and the crowd's a little wild. Like, you know, these people drink at like 11 in the morning and stuff and they're partying. Now, Sarah, now in the pub, you can eat at a table or you can eat at the bar. Sarah's 19. Well, in England, you can sit at the bar if you're 18 years old. So Sarah's like, I'm ordering at the bar, you know? <laughs> we're up there eating, right? And we're hanging out. And this, this, these two wild dudes are hanging out. This one guy's like, I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but it's funny. But he's like with his friend, he's like, hey, I like the pocket on your, on your shirt. He's like, oh, why? And he goes, and he just rips the pocket off. He's like, oh, your nipple's showing. Ah, ha, ha. And they're laughing. And like, I'm like, what in the world? These British people are crazy. Have another pint, right? And, uh, and there's a lady standing there talking to him. And then he leaves. And I told him where I was from. He, he was, you know, a little small talk. And he's like, hey, have, have fun going back to Vegas. And this girl's like, Vegas? I'm from New York. She's American. She starts talking to us, finds out I'm a pastor. She's like, so you're a priest? And I'm like, well, not really, but... I I guess if you want me to be, praise God. She's like, can I confess my sins to you? So Sarah and I are at the bar. And this lady's confessing her sins. And we just opened our hearts. Turns out for a year, she'd been holding a burden and blaming herself for her best friend's death. And it had nothing to do with her. We step outside and I said, can my daughter pray for you? She says, yes, absolutely. Sarah begins to pray, prophesy, release the love of God. Tears well up in her and we just release God's heart. And we, we just, we told her, we said, we declared from this moment on, you're going to have victory over that thing that has been weighing you down for the last year. And I said, and it was God's divine appointment. And look where we met in the name of the place was Victoria. Now, there's probably like 20 of those on every block, but whatever, God still used it. Amen. <laughs> so we had a good time. It was amazing. Um, and, and you know, some of the journey was a little rough. Now, the text we just read, 
Jesus told a story, but for us to understand the story, we have to understand the questions that he asks. See, so many times we run to something and we define it before we even know uh, how to define it. We try to examine it before we even allow Jesus to give us the lenses in which we can focus on what he wants us to focus on. Now we're going to look into the text. We're going to look into the scripture. Uh, I was reminded of uh, another story. My wife and I got to, um, well, let me, let me just say this. I want to point something out to you. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, Jesus tells the story of a Jewish man going. Now, if you know something about the geography in the first century, this road was treacherous. It was dangerous. And it went from an, uh, a high place down to, it was a decline. Have you ever been on the journey and you felt like you're on a treacherous, dangerous decline and all sorts of things are happening to you? So my wife and I got, had the honor of uh, doing a prayer and invocation at a, uh, a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, his retirement ceremony. This was just the other day. And this is a precious brother and his wife. They've been attending our church and they're moving out of state. And uh, I got to do the prayer, and it was just such a powerful time. And this guy flies F-15s. That was my dream as a kid. This was a big deal. Uh, I mean, he's brilliant, and he carries himself so humbly. You wouldn't realize it, but uh, he's accomplished a lot, 20 years of service. And so we're coming in the Air Force Base. Have you ever been to Nellis Air Force Base or around there? It's like trying to get in, is, it's not easy. We got turned around, had to go to the visitor center. One guy before us waited 50, 50, like 40 minutes, 45 minutes. And uh, as we're pulling up, I said, honey, I said, have you ever been held up at gunpoint by one of these military police? She's like, why would you even ask that? Of course not. Like, that's a dumb question, right? So I'm like, I have. <laughs> so can I tell you the story? Talk about a treacherous road. Me and my boy, we're driving and we're like, uh, we're off-roading and we're somewhere out there near the base and we're just trying to find, and we found these roads that were like, the, it was these dirt roads and they went down and then they went up and we were catching air. And so, and it was like a real open dirt road, probably not the smartest thing, don't try this at home, but we were, and we were young and dumb and so we're, and we're literally catching air, we're probably like a yard or two, which is a big deal and you land and you lose it a little bit and we're just having a blast. So we're out there, all of a sudden we find that we see this fence and this road and it goes into this, this like, it's like a tunnel into the mountain. I think it's related to uh, Area 51. I don't know, man. It's conspiracy theory. No, it's not. But so we're driving along this, this fence, and all of a sudden we see this car with its lights on and an H1, like a big Hummer. And we're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be over here. We turn around. The Hummer comes on the other side of the fence chasing us down. So now we're going, we're off-roading, and my, my friend's scared, and I'm just like, well, he's probably laughing, but scared at the same time. And, and so we're like, what do we do in this situation? They're not cops. Do we run from them? But they're military police, and we decided to run. Not a smart move. So we're running from this Hummer, right? And we go, and we're going on this dirt road. It's just crazy. And they went over the ridge and cut us off. Turns out they, like, jump out of the car, pull out their ARs or whatever they had, their assault rifles, and they're pointing them at us, dude. And, and the guy's like trying to tell the driver, my friend, what to do. He's like, take your left hand and, you know, grab your keys. And he forgot the lingo. And my friend's laughing. I'm like, they're going to shoot you, dude. Stop laughing. I got my hands up like this. It was crazy. It was treacherous. 
I got out of the car. They, they get us out of the car. Then they're like face down on the ground. It's dirt. We're in the middle of the desert. And I'm like, this is a new shirt, bro. Seriously. Turns out they just got our IDs. They let us go. They're like, hey, next time, don't come this close and don't drive around here. You know, we're like, thank you for not shooting us. Praise God. It was an amazing experience. Um, But how many, it really was, but how many of you have had life sneak up on you on the journey where it seems like you're at a high and then all of a sudden you're in a valley You've been beaten, robbed, stripped naked, and you feel like you have nothing and there's no one around to help. Jesus tells this story, and he doesn't just tell the story. He asks a question to this religious scholar. And the question is answered a little bit by his question, but also by the beginning of the story. I want us to dive in. I want you to check something out and look with me closely at the story so that we can understand it clear. Are you all ready? Verse 31, Jesus says the first uh, person to walk down this road, it was the Jewish priest. Uh, I'm sorry, the first person to to walk by the wounded man was the Jewish priest. So he he was a law man, okay? Now, what's powerful about this, it says that the Jewish priest saw him from a distance and he crossed the other side and walked right past him. How many know that if we exalt the law higher than love, we will not be saved? We are saved by the love of God, not God's law. The law shows us our lack, and the lack shows us the need that we have to receive the love of God. And sometimes, even in our life and our relationships, we exalt the law over love. We exalt rules over relationship in our parenting. Hello? We operate by fear and we operate by these parameters and these, and and it's important that we understand what Jesus is trying to say here. He's trying to say the law cannot help you. Verse 32 says a religious man, say religious man. He was a Levite. He knew the the, the Old Testament. He knew that if if he touched anything unclean, uh, that, that he was unclean. And the Levite, it doesn't say that he saw him from a distance. He might have went a little bit closer, but it says that he walked right past him. This man that was wounded and robbed and left half dead, the Levite walked past him. The Levite was bound by fear. The law is not sufficient, and it will keep us bound by fear. Now, verse 33, verse 33 says, finally, Another man, a Samaritan. Say, a Samaritan. Now, I I love this story because I am all about loving the broken. Can you say amen? Like, do you resonate? Like, you want to feed the poor, clothe the naked. Like, this this is just, and and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 25. You know, visit those who are in prison and and true and uh, true and undefiled religion or ministry is feeding or taking care of the orphans and the widows. Like who has a heart for broken people? Now we usually read this scripture and we think, man, I want to be the good Samaritan, right? But can I just drop a theological bomb on you right now? That if we have hearing ears and we allow Jesus to give us lenses to see, there are, there are a couple things that I want, tools I want to give you. We're going to jump right into this questions that you need to ask when you're reading the Bible. You know, when you read the Bible, you can't just read it all literally. Just hold on a minute, evangelicals. You fundamentals, if there's anyone in the house that has that 
mindset. What do you mean the Bible is inspired word of God? Authoritative, of course. You must read it literally before you read it literally. You can't read one verse in the book of Revelation and then one verse in Leviticus. You've got to read it literally, or I'm sorry, literally, before you read it literally. And Jesus is helping us do that. He's, and there's two questions that you can, from now on when you're reading the scripture, you read it in context, you can say, where's Jesus in the story? Or how does this point to Jesus? Because he is the eternal word of God. And how can this help me be a better follower of Jesus? Or who am I in the story? Who am I in the story? Now, I think we could all agree that we're, we're, we're kind of the, the guy before the story, right? The religious scholar testing Jesus' doctrines, right? Have we been there, done that? I think that, that we could say uh, that we're the Jewish priest and the religious man. We've passed by the wounded and the broken. Can you say Amen. And how many could say, well, I, you know, I'm the Samaritan. I mean, some of us have really lived a life like that, the good Samaritan. But can I just help you? And I want to jump in with the question. In order to answer who am I in the story, you have to ask who is Jesus in the story? Because without Jesus, there's no point to the story. Hello? There's no redemption in the story without Jesus. Jesus is our salvation and our redemption. And in order for us to know who we are, we've got to know who God is. In order for us to say, what's next, Papa, even on a treacherous journey that's on a decline, we have to know where Jesus is in the story so we know where we are in the story. Now, it's very interesting to me that it says, finally, another man, a Samaritan came. I don't know if you know this, but Samaritans were rejected. Samaritans were half-breeds. Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. Did you know that Jesus was called a Samaritan by the Pharisees? Did you know that he was rejected in John 1? It says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Maybe Jesus was actually pointing himself out as the Samaritan. If you look at verse 33, it says, he came upon the bleeding man. I want you to just have hearing ears right now. And was moved with tender compassion for him. I don't know about you, but that sounds like Matthew chapter nine, where Jesus was moved with compassion. And he looked at the people and they were like sheep without a shepherd. I continue to read and it says, he stooped down and gave him first aid. How many know the Bible says that Jesus, he, he poured himself out. He became a humble. He humbled himself in the appearance of a man. God was manifested in the likeness of men. It sounds like the Samaritan might be our redeemer. If we keep reading, it says he gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds. How many know that oil is a representation of the spirit? Come on, Jesus says he's pouring out his spirit. I'm going to send the promise of my father, but wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. I don't know about you, but I read this part where it says he disinfected their his wounds with wine how many have been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus and the wine of his 
love, if you keep reading, it comes alive. It says that he bandaged his wounds to stop the bleeding and he lifted him up. The Bible says that we have been raised with Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places and now we are exalted with him face to face before the Father. And then it says he placed him on his own donkey. Listen, I'm telling you something. When we were unredeemable, Jesus came and he didn't pass us by. When we were left half dead, somebody came on the scene. His name is Jesus. And he poured out the wine of his love and he poured out his blood on his, with his broken body on the cross. Man, I'm preaching way better than you responded. I need y'all to give God a shout of praise right now. We have to see who is Jesus in the story. And when I know who he is in the story, I know who I am in the story. That I cannot save myself. That I cannot redeem myself. I cannot be some good Samaritan loving the broken if I don't know the love that, that bought me with the price. If I don't know the love that came to the lowest place of my darkness. The Bible says he got off his donkey and stooped down. How many know that Jesus stooped down in John chapter 13 when he washed the disciples' feet and he showed us what love looked like? How can we display love if we don't know what love looks like? Can I just tell you that I'm reading this and and it says he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. I heard a preacher say the inn is a type and shadow of a, a healthy church community. A safe place. He carried him to a room for the night. The next morning he took his own money. Oh man, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He took his own money. That sounds familiar. He gave him a deposit. It sounds like a earnest money deposit. It sounds like Ephesians chapter one, the Holy Spirit. Paul illustrates as like a down payment, an earnest money deposit. I see the Trinity involved and wrapped up in my entire redemption, in the redemption of humanity when we were left half dead, when we were, and how many know that Jesus is fully man and fully God? A Samaritan was half Jewish and half not Jewish. There is something powerful about this where we see the love of God. It goes on, it says he gave his wallet to the innkeeper. Maybe the innkeeper is the father. Jesus said that you're in the palm of my father's hand and no one can pluck you out. You're in the father's care. You're in the father's care. Even on the treacherous road, he's closer than we can ever comprehend. He's near to the brokenhearted. And then he says to the the innkeeper, take care of him until I come back. (laughs) How many know Jesus is returning? He's returning to a church without spot or blemish. Are you excited that one day, come on, one day in all of his glory, he will physically return? And by the way, we're not a church that's going to be hiding in caves. We're going to be getting people saved, healed, and delivered. We're going to be advancing the kingdom. Well, the great tribulation. Oh, stop it. Stop focusing on the negative. Let's advance the kingdom of God. We have a kingdom eschatology because the kingdom of God, Matthew 13, 33, is like a little leaven that leavens the whole lump of dough. It's growing, it's growing, it's growing. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is advancing. And we have the keys to the kingdom. He's building his church. He's advancing his kingdom. And someday he's going to return, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, to a church without spot or blemish. The good Samaritan is not some standard to live up to. Without first understanding, it's rather a story of our redemption and salvation, understanding this radical love that came to us when we were half dead and robbed and stripped naked. When I know that love, 
then I can become the one who displays the same type of love. We must remember that the only reason we love God is because he first loved us. You remember the beginning of the story. The Bible says that the religious scholar so eloquently quoted the law, summed it up, the law and the prophets, right? Love the Lord thy God with all, with every thought. Good luck with that one. How many of you could say that you love the Lord with every thought this week? Raise your hand if that's you. That's what I thought. I mean, like for real, you, the law cannot save us. We're bound in, 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 in fear and, and we're bound by the law and we wonder why we can't get up. And Jesus picks us up. Jesus is our redeemer. When we feel unredeemed, he shows us our value. He lifts us up and tells us that we're his beloved. And who are we in the story? Obviously, I think we're multiple characters. We're the guy asking the question, the religious scholar. We're the, the Levite and we're the, the lawman. And we're obviously the man that was wounded. Wounded humanity in darkness. He came to redeem us. What's interesting is that the religious scholar and the half-dead men, they were both robbed. And we've both been robbed by religion and sin. First John 3, 1, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished upon us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. First John 4, 19, we love him because... Amazing. Maybe we've been trying to be the Samaritan the whole time. And God's like, no, that's my job. Let me love you where you're at. And let me show you that love. How can we evangelize? How can we have relationships? How can I be the husband God has created me to be and love my wife? with affection and honor, with the love that Jesus had for us when he laid down his life. How can I? It can only be possible if I allow that love to go so deep into my heart that it transforms me. How can I love my kids when they get on my stinking nerves? When I allow the love of God to penetrate every area of my heart, and I allow him to love every part of me, the broken parts. And I remember that I was robbed. I've been robbed. I've been stripped. I've been left half dead. But he came and he rescued me. I want to close with a story. And I'm going to read this as quick, quick as I can. But it's a really profound story about God being present in our brokenness, even in our suffering. And it doesn't mean he's causing it. How many know that this guy that was on the journey, this treacherous road, he got robbed. Sometimes there's absolutely no meaning to us getting robbed or bad things happening. How many can say, yes, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? It doesn't mean there's some divine meaning behind the, act, the, the activity or what the circumstance, whatever's happening. It's important that we that we understand this because there's a reason, but that doesn't mean there's a meaning. 
You catch that? The reason is we're in a fallen world and even creation itself is longing to be redeemed. What is the, the meaning behind hundreds of thousands of people dying in tsunamis? There's no meaning. There's no meaning to death. There's a reason. It's sin. It's fallenness. But there's no divine meaning. But how many know that we serve a God that can work all things according, work all things according to his purpose? Doesn't mean he initiates it. But I want to read this story. It's so profound. By Brennan Manning from the book, The Furious Longing of God. Are you all ready? I'm going to read right through this. And if you'd like to close your eyes, you can. And just receive, just receive his love right now. Since moving to New Orleans, I've gotten deeply involved in the only leper colony in the United States. It's found in Carville, Louisiana, about 20 miles southwest of Baton Rouge. I've been there many, many times. I go from room to room visiting the lepers, the victims of Hansen's disease. On one occasion, I was coming up the front steps. A nurse came running toward me and said, Brennan, can you come quickly and pray with Yolanda? She's dying, Brennan. I always carry the holy oils with me to anoint any who desire it. I went up to Yolanda's room on the second floor and sat on the edge of the bed. Yolanda is a woman who's 37 years old. But five years ago, before the leprosy began to ravage, she must have been one of the most stunningly beautiful creatures God ever made. I don't mean just a cute, pretty, or even attractive woman. I mean the kind of blinding physical beauty that causes men and women on the street to stop and stare. In pictures, Yolanda had the largest, most mesmerizing, most translucent brown eyes I've ever seen. Set in this exquisitely chiseled face with high cheekbones, long brown hair down to a slender waist, and a perfectly proportioned bust. But that was then. Now her nose is pressed into her face. Her mouth is severely contorted. Both ears are swollen. She has no fingers on either hand, just two little stumps. One of the first effects of leprosy, losing all sensitivity in your extremities, toes and fingers. A leper can rest her hand on a burning hot stove and feel no pain. This often leads to gangrene and eventually demands amputation. Yolanda just had these two little stumps. Two years earlier, her husband divorced her because of the social stigma attached to leprosy. He had forbidden their two sons, boys 14 and 16, from ever visiting their mom. The father was an alcoholic, complete with frequent violent mood swings. The boys were terrified of him, so they obeyed as a result. Yolanda was dying, an abandoned, forsaken woman. I anointed Yolanda with oil and prayed for her. As I turned around to put the top back on the bottle of oil, the room was filled with a brilliant light. It had been raining when I came in. I didn't even look up, but said, thanks, Abba, for the sunshine. I bet that'll cheer her up. As I turned to look back at Yolanda, and if I live to be 300 years old, I'll never be able to find the words to describe what I saw. Her face was like a sunburst over the mountains like 1,000 sunbeams streaming out of her face, literally so brilliant, I had to shield my eyes. I said, Yolanda, you appear to be very happy. With her slight Mexican-American accent, she said, oh, Father, I'm so happy. 
I then asked her, will you tell me why you're so happy? She said, yes, the Abba of Jesus just told me he would take me home today. I vividly remember the hot tears that began rolling down my cheeks. After a lengthy pause, I asked just what the Abba Jesus had said. Yolanda said, he said, come now, my love, my lovely one, come. For you, the winter has passed. The snows are over and gone. The flowers appear in the land. The season of joyful songs has come. The cooing of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Come now, my love, my Yolanda, come. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is beautiful. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. Six hours later, her little leprous leprous body was swept up into the furious love of her Abba. Later that same day, I learned from the staff that Yolanda was totally illiterate. She had never read the Bible or any book for that matter in her entire life. Yet she quoted all of that scripture from the Song of Solomon. I surely had never repeated those words to her any of my visits. I was, as they say, a man undone. Wow, isn't that beautiful? God's love to the most broken places. Would you allow his love now to just come in and pour in? Can we just reflect and remember who our redeemer is? Can we stop and think about the price in which we have been bought? Lord, thank you for your love. I bless your people. I want to ask you right now, our prayer team, would you begin to pray? And all those in this room, would you just lift your hands up and just receive his love? I want to just bless you before I close. Father, let the love of God pour out. Healing grace, pour out. Right now, freedom and deliverance, come. Sometimes we get stuck on performance and we're trying to do all this stuff and Jesus is like, that wasn't the point of the story. The point is, is you got to let me save you so that you can do stuff. You got to let me love you. You got to let me teach you to love. Father, I pray right now that you would heal our orphan hearts, our orphan thinking, bring healing and wholeness, every heart and every life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Can we steal it with praise? Thank God for the word this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.